0: I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Thanks so much for joining us again for the Parenting Aces podcast. I have John Falbo with us again this week in Part 8 of our conversations. And interestingly, John recently posted a video on his Facebook page about what the parent's role is in developing competitive athletes and very shortly after watching that video, I was sent an article written by a parent overseas about being careful when you expose kids to competition that's too tough because it can lead them to burn out or decide they don't like something and quit. And so I thought it would be great to really dig deeper into that topic with John this week and get his thoughts on what exactly we as parents should be doing to help our kids develop that competitive spirit and that competitive edge. As expected, John doesn't mince words when sharing his opinion, and he is very definite about his feeling when it comes to the value of developing a competitive spirit in our children and feels that we as parents really have to take the lead here and that we have really a responsibility to instill this competitive spirit in our children in order to help them succeed out in the world. So I am very anxious for you all to hear John, and I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. I hope you'll leave us comments on the podcast page, either on Libsyn or on Parenting Aces or wherever you like to interact with us, whether it's via email or on our website or social media. But I think this one is going to spark a lot of conversation, and I'm very anxious to hear from you guys. So I will be quiet now and let you enjoy John Falbo as soon as we come back from this break. Tennisballs.com is your one-stop shop for all the latest tennis news, stories, and photos from around the world. Their talented writers share insights from the Pro Tour, the latest tennis technology, and behind-the-scenes looks at your favorite tennis tournaments and events. Check out Tennisballs.com. That's 10sballs.com. John Falbo, thank you so much for joining us again. This is conversation number eight for us, and I'm looking very forward to jumping into this topic of building competitive athletes, and I think, uh, you know, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your take on this.
1: Well, thank you for having me once again, Lisa. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. So, as I mentioned in the in the intro to the show, you recently published a video on your Facebook page talking about parents, the parent's role in developing competitive athletes. I recently published an article on parentingaces.com written by a parent about being careful to avoid overexposing our children to hardcore competitive situations and so I think, you know, this, this is a very timely conversation because obviously you're thinking about this issue, this dad in the U.K. was thinking about this issue, and I suspect that the answer lies somewhere in between, but I'm not sure where. So let's see if we can't figure this thing out.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, where where to begin? I think I, I don't. I would disagree that it lies somewhere in between because I think the guy missed the entire point. And I don't know what his competitive background is. I don't know what his business background is. I don't know what his background period is. But my question to this guy and to any other parent that has any sort of agreement with him is what do you think it's going to be like? Let's say that your child doesn't play tennis. Let's say they don't play any sports. Let's say they refuse. What do you think it's going to be like when they get out in the real world and they have to compete? And, you know, I have people all the time asking me about college scholarships and tennis and them being given to foreign versus American players. I have questions all the time about uh, American competitiveness, period, and do you really think we'd be asking this question in Russia or in Central Europe or in the poor Latin American countries? Do you really think we'd be asking um, how much is too much and, and what do we have to do to help them be competitive? And no, because these people want to eat and they're competing their asses off. They're competing in school. They're competing in tennis, they're competing in athletics, they're competing in business. And this guy missed the entire point, in my view, because to say, well, we should shy away from the tough matches because it might affect their little psyches, it might affect their little self-esteem, is the most bogus point of view one could ever have. And this is why, not because of tennis. Not because of athletics, although I feel like those are good breeding grounds for being competitive in business and and in any other arena but what the hell does he think it's gonna be like when they get out there and have to compete in the job market uh, in the if they're God forbid if they're entrepreneurs because then you work two and three and four times as many hours and they don't have a set schedule and they have to adapt creatively and they're taking. 99 no's for every yes my question is what the heck is this guy thinking about
0: well it's interesting and I think his approach is and and if he's listening to the podcast Paul I uh I apologize if I'm putting words in your mouth so um I will take it for what it's worth but what I think he's thinking about is keeping kids in the sport for a lifetime. And from his perspective, he's seeing and he's in the UK, he is seeing kids drop out uh younger and younger and so that by the time you're in the 14s and 16s, there's so few kids in competitive tennis anymore that you know, it got him thinking what's going on that's causing them to drop out and And I think it kind of leads to a bigger question, John, which is, you know, if we are in tennis in order for our kids to develop a skill set around a sport, develop some life skills, um, you know, maybe have an entree into college, but maybe not – maybe just develop to a point where they're great social players and can use their tennis in the business world to make connections at what point do you say you know the the nitty gritty down and dirty world of junior competitive tennis is unnecessary for my child in order for them to get to that level as opposed to a family where the child is hungry to be number one, hungry to be a professional player, willing to put in the work, and the family's willing to put in the work to make that happen. Do we make that determination at a certain stage? I mean, I think this is a dilemma that a lot of families face.
1: Well, I don't know if it's a dilemma that a lot of families face, but it's unnecessary because it's a diversion in my view. Because rather than look and say, well, my child doesn't want to compete and maybe it's a little too much and maybe their, their, their psyches get affected, et cetera, take it a step back, I would ask your audience. Take it a step back. Don't attack a sport. Attack parenting. Attack parenting. Because if your child is so fragile that they don't know how to compete I'm not – they don't have to be a Wimbledon champion. They don't have to be number one in their country or their state or even their club. The guy's missing the – whole, and I hope he is listening for the sake of his kids and for the sake of other kids because he misses the entire point. It's not about whether you win those matches that he described or whether you lose those matches. It's about competing to the best of your ability – to the fullest of your ability. And if you have a parent that's not a complete idiot, that parent is going to take you after the match and say, look, okay, you won this one or you lost this one. But here's what I really respect about that. I respect the fact that you prepared to play as best you could, whatever level that's on. I respect the fact that you competed with all of your heart because that's going to help you later in life. And, all, and and these people that say, oh, well, we want them to develop some social skills, and we want them to develop some competitive skills. What the hell do you think they're doing when they compete hard? They're, they're learning not to cheat. They're learning to deal with cheaters. They're learning right from wrong. They're learning consequential behavior. They're learning all sort of cognitive assets that they can take to something else in life, the idea that they should shy away from competition and that that's somehow going to help them is the most asinine thought I think I've ever heard. And well, let me this ask is not you a, this: wait, it's well, an, let me—it's not an attack on this dude because I don't know the dude, but the thought—it's an attack on the thought process. I get no—I have no vested interest in attacking the dude. And I'm not going to make his article more popular because I think it's a disservice to people. But what I am saying is I'm going to attack the hell out of the thought process because you want to know, do you think, like, let's take any endeavor and, and we'll do a cost-benefit assessment. Do you think the sport is better for having someone like Serena Williams in it? You think the sport is better for having somebody like Andre or Pete in it? Okay, some people drop off, yes, but those people miss the entire point. And some of these sports, if you ask me, tennis doesn't promote the competitive side enough. They're too worried about this idea that that I see a ton of parents promoting, which is fun and enjoyment as opposed to, now hierarchically, I agree at some point it should be fun, but hierarchically, where does it come into play that fun and excellence go hand in hand?
0: Well, that's an interesting point. I, I wanted to get back to what you were saying before about the conversation that a parent would have with their child after the match, where they tell them you know, that they're proud of the way they competed, the way they prepared. What if the child didn't? prepare well what if the child didn't compete well what
1: do you think that's a teaching opportunity also like look you know as you grow up if you think that there's not going to be a consequence for your lack of preparation and for your lack of intensity and for your lack of caring and investing the greatest inventions in the world uh you take people out in Silicon Valley or anywhere else in this world that are coming up with ideas and coming up with technologies and coming up, they're invested. They're invested emotionally. They're invested categorically from their money to their psychology to their efforts every day, their energy, and and to communicate with a child that, well, you know, we should just slack off of these these tough decisions, it's like denying that you're going to have problems in life that are extremely difficult, like death, like uh, divorce, like difficulty within your family or with your friends or with your health. It's like denying that you're going to have these difficult issues to deal with in the form of a tennis match and saying, well, you know what, if, if we just cut those out, if, if life were only that clean. If life were only that clean and to rob and steal from a child and say, well, we just want to make it a little easier for you. We don't want you to have to deal with those, those, those situations because they're just a little too tough for you. What the hell does that communicate to the child as opposed to, look, man, get up off your butt and prepare better and compete better. And you know what? If you win, you win, and if you lose you lose. But you can look at yourself in the mirror that way. That, that's real self worth. That's not, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pad the deck, pad his little grade point average, pad his little competitive arena, and, and just make sure that he's okay. Really? Really. And you got everybody in the world competing against you, you got poor people from India. Over where they don't even have sanitary water in, you know, a a third to a fourth of the country, Uh, you got people over in China that are dirt poor, that are unbelievably bright, competing. You got people all over the world, Central Europe, Russia, everywhere, and and you're saying, well, we don't, we just don't want them to compete so much. Well, I got news for you, dude. If you don't want them to compete, somebody's going to take their slot. And so I would humbly suggest that you keep them competing and you as a parent learn how to deal with them competing. Help teach them whether they win, whether they lose, whether they don't prepare, whatever the result is, you can always deal with that. But if you're telling them not to compete like this, you're taking them out of the arena. And I guarantee you, you take them out of the arena and they're not sharpening their skills. Somebody else is gonna jump in and take that spot.
0: So for a parent that didn't grow up in a competitive environment, because I, I mean a lot of us didn't grow up like that.
1: I disagree.
0: I disagree. You disagree?
1: You're well, competitive.
0: Okay. You, well, I am. I Yes, I am. <laughs> but but I'm saying there there are people out there that didn't grow up in a competitive arena. They didn't play sports or they, they weren't competitive in the classroom. Um, they just, you know, they didn't develop a, a musical skill or whatever. I, I mean, there are people out there like that. How I've never met
1: can, one. I've never met one. I've really? never met one. I've never met one that does not have competitive DNA somewhere inside of them. It could be with a brother or sister. It could be in school. It could be. It, it could. It could be in a multitude of areas. But as a parent, if you look hard enough, you're going to find an area where it's a part of. To me, it's a part of being a human being. We don't have to get into divinity, but I believe it was placed in you before you ever knew, because the species wouldn't have survived. We didn't survive based on uh, some nice little pretty picture. This, this whole species has survived through conquering tribes, warfaring people. Um, it's, it survived through the toughest of circumstances. And to, I've never seen anyone that I couldn't identify At least one area where they were competitive so i feel like you you know you're kind you're 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 into like (laughs) i don't i don't don't claim that same feature you're kind to everybody and 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 in our interviews you're a good cop and i'm bad cop for sure you know but and and you're very considerate and in my view extremely tolerant and so I get where you're coming from, but I just think it's letting it, it's letting everybody skate too easily to try to even intellectually entertain this idea that competition is somehow in some way at any level bad
0: okay well let me let me rephrase then. And, and say it this way, for somebody, for a parent who's having trouble tapping into that competitive spirit that um, you've convinced me is inside all of us, what are some things they can do to to get better at it, to, to practice and, and do better by their kids in terms of helping their children develop and, and hone these skills? Well, I... A
1: great question. I mean, first of, all, first of all, how about talking to him? How about putting them in some different competitive arenas? How about when the going gets tough and these moments of truth come out? Not writing an article like this, where you say, "Oh well," I mean, this guy's done zero research. Because if he were, he would see. If if he did do research, he would see that you don't get superior products. You don't get. You don't get superior characteristics. You don't even get virtuous characteristics without dealing with adversity. And then if he wants to go to people who own small businesses or people that own large corporations or anyone, anyone that's ever had any kind of achievement oriented mindset, I guarantee you one of the top three, and it's my number one, but one of the top three characteristics that they will tell you. It's not how talented you are. It's not what kind of potential you have. It's not how pretty you are. How do you respond to adversity? Top three guaranteed, in my view, it's the number one characteristic that determines if you can make a good life for yourself. And that doesn't mean making a a crap load of money. It doesn't mean... it's not defined, it's a good life for yourself where you can wake up in the morning and you can feel good about yourself and you can know that you're doing your best because I believe that's the way we're made. I don't believe we're made to just um, uh, waffle around and waddle and muddle through in the muck. I believe we're meant to, to attempt to do our best every day and if you are not able to respond to adversity then to me you have nothing you have no backbone and that's what this article encouraged to me is having no backbone and how do you bring it out i think you got to talk to them i think you got to observe them i think you actually got a parent imagine that you actually got to spend some time with your child and not expect somebody else to do it you actually got to pay attention to them you got to observe them in different environments you got to be have enough fortitude within yourself to say you know what i think i'm seeing something here that maybe everybody's not seeing cuz i know this person better you know i'm this parents i'm i'm this person's blood i'm i I'm, i know them i'm their bloodline i they come from me intuitively what am i sensing about this person and what they like what they don't like where they're competitive where they're not competitive but how do you how do you assess that if if your solution to this thing is say well we just just take them out of the arena we'll just take them out of the arena what in the hell are you going to figure out at that point other than making it easier for yourself
0: in your opinion John is it okay for kids to have activities that they're involved in where they just show up. They don't really want to put the effort in. They just want to be hanging out with their buddies and doing something that maybe, you know, they, they just are having fun with, but they're not looking to develop into a full-blown skill set.
1: I I think, I think that from every activity I've observed, if the child is left to be in the activity and if the coaches are left alone, and if, if the parents, which very many do not right now, they, they do not. First of all, if you're going to put your child in something, you're naturally consenting that you at least somewhat trust the activity and the coaches involved. If you haven't done your research to complain after the fact, is a bit nonsensical to me. So with the premise that, look, I've, I believe in the activity, at least somewhat. I believe at least somewhat in the coaching and the people around. I believe in the environment to assess my child. And, you know, I'm the first one to say when it's time for a parent to get involved, they should get involved. But in terms of putting them in an actual environment, I believe if you put your child in, in, a, in a basically good environment, and leave them be for a little bit, you will see competition come out. You will see the competitive spirit come out. And is it okay for social? Of course. I mean, camaraderie is a beautiful thing. That's not, that's not limited to a boy and a girl. You see them acted out in different ways. But children in general enjoy being around one another, I think. And so to have that kind of camaraderie and enjoy it, yeah. But I, I love... Where I get lost in this whole thing is, why are they mutually exclusive? Like, when I go out and compete, I enjoy the people there. I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy seeing how good I can be. I even enjoy the people that are assholes. Because they're helping me get better in their own way. They just don't quite hey. know it. <laughs> And, and so to me, to have that kind of, to have that kind of an outlook and, and to go in and say, hey, okay, uh, little Billy is going in for social. Well, let little Billy go in for social. But if you observe him enough, you will see that little Billy is in some way competitive. It might not even be in what he's doing. But watch who gets to the water fountain first. Watch who sits down first and listens to the instructions. Watch how he is afterwards. See if he's disappointed. See what really bothers them. Maybe it's spurring him on to do something else. But I just, I just think it, yeah. it, it skips. I think it skips ahead, Lisa. And 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 the the disgraceful part to me to the article wasn't. Hey, everybody's entitled to their opinion, of course. But the thing that was 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 so misplaced in the article is it's not about tennis. It's not about. It's not even about competition, although to me that's the main ingredient that's so virtuous and needs to be in there. But let's take a step back and and take it off the child and off the sport. Let's
0: put it on the parent. How about that? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, listen, we have a huge role, which is, you know, (laughs) which is, another conversation about why I get so upset when parents are left out of the equation. Um, but that's a whole other conversation, but it's, it's a good what, one too. Well, it is. And, and I suspect we will have it before long, but so, I mean, the whole thing that, that you were talking about in, in your video that you did, John was how, kids naturally want to compete and how we parents get in the way and how parents need to take a step back and let the kids duke it out basically I I don't want to put words in your mouth and I know when I was coming up and I know for sure when you were coming up that, that that was the way it was I mean if if things happened on the court between the players, if they weren't resolved during the match, they were often resolved in the parking lot, you know, <laughs> after the match. And right?
1: Well, there there was there was much more of an acceptance of um, certainly in this country anyway, of raw competition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, our society has changed. Um, I some of it's the in good this country,
1: some question yeah. in this country yeah. you're right you're right
0: right and and we've kind of taken that mono y mano, or mono a mano, right mono a mano i however you say it's that actually,
1: it's actually both it depends on the language but you're right on both counts.
0: okay okay good Um, Look at me, multilingual. Um, But we've taken that element out of youth sports in this country because we want to protect our kids from injury. We want to protect ourselves from lawsuits. I mean, there are a lot of reasons that those things have gone away. And so I think it becomes that much more challenging to raise competitive children in an environment that really doesn't want us to raise competitive children. It's
1: a great point. It's a great point. And and it's also devoid of looking at one of the greatest things about tennis or any other competitive pursuit is you get to meet people from different countries. You get to meet people from different walks of life. And I guarantee you, I'm at the university here like six blocks away, and you would be amazed probably 80% of one 500-unit apartment complex is Asian. There's some Japanese, there's some Vietnamese, and the majority are Chinese. And you, you, you sit in one at one bus stop and you watch for about an hour and you will see teams of people walking to school, riding bikes, carpooling. You will see them back and forth to the classroom, the labs, any way they got to do it, they're going they're they're learning, they're competing in their particular area. They've been sent over here with a mission and they are on it. And you could say that about many of many of the students from India, many of the students from Central Europe. My point is the rest of the world is competing their ass off. Many Two-thirds of the world doesn't have enough food. Hell, one-third of the world barely has utilities. Okay? So if we're talking about and and, and, and uh, stable housing, that's the reality. And for people to grow up in this country and think that it's this way around the world, I'd say wake the hell up. I'd say go to some different places and look at the poverty and look at the difficulty it is it's a, it, there is so much privilege walking around here, and the skills are suffering tremendously. And it's just a matter of time if competitively you don't wake the hell up in this country. It's just a matter of time before because there's a rule with money, especially with big money. Money goes where it's treated best money doesn't just come to you money goes where it's treated best and the minute other countries become better vehicles for money so that their citizenry have access to credit have access to funds and resources then you put that hunger and that competitive spirit with it and you have a dynamic combination versus people walking around here like well The sport should be easy, or the activity should be easy, or it should build their self-esteem, and all this misplaced stuff. Self-worth is inside of you naturally. Self-esteem is earned. And to, to think, psychologically, to think that you can make everything okay for your child by disallowing them to compete is asinine in my view, because the rest of the world is competing, and they're competing hard. And to take that away from a child and take away all those learning opportunities where, yeah, they're going to be disappointed. Yeah, they're going to get hurt feelings. Yeah, they're going to come in unprepared, all of that stuff. And to take away dealing with that and to say, oh, well, I'm sending them to school, and that's my plausible deniability that, well, I paid for their education, and that they should be able to work from there. No, that ain't how it works. Yeah, that's one ingredient if you want your child to go to college, but they've got to learn how to compete at a very rigorous level with a lot of vigor and a lot of energy because that's what's happening all over the world. And to think that's not going to catch up at some point, it's like to me, you're either moving ahead or you're falling behind. There is no neutral. Because the moment you're neutral, somebody else is moving ahead. So if you're not moving ahead and learning how to compete, learning how to utilize your internal resources, learning how to respond to adversity, then in my view, you're falling behind. And that's what I see with a ton of children in this country. And I would take it back to the parents. Not all parents do this. I've I've seen parents that handle the, the child and the activity and the, and the, the growth process and the development process very, very well. So it's not like I'm saying I'm generalizing. There are people who do this very, very well and understand the importance of it. But there are also a hell of a lot of people that shy away from it and, in my view, do themselves and their children and the whole learning process, and ultimately this country, a disservice.
0: Well, let's talk about some specifics, John, because... For those parents that aren't comfortable with sports, maybe you know they didn't grow up in sports. So I'm not I'm not gonna say again that they didn't they aren't competitive, but maybe they didn't grow up in the world of competitive sports. Let's talk about some specific things that we can do to provide opportunities for our children to to compete each day. Or as often as necessary to help them build that resilience.
1: Are you talking Are you talking non-athletically?
0: No, I'm talking through tennis because that's what we're focused on here. And, you know, that's, I mean, everybody listening to this podcast is involved in the sport in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, let's keep it focused on tennis, but we can expand it beyond tennis as well I just let's start with the tennis side.
1: well you know you, you spoke of my last video on Facebook and I got you can look down the public comments and see these are these are people that have won uh, Grand Slam titles either as juniors um, or coming up through the ranks um, I want to say pre junior but it's basically the same thing and they're, they're world-class players they're world-class athletes But for every one comment I got, I mean, I got literally hundreds of private messages saying, you know, I encourage the children to play sets. I encourage the children to go out and play 21 games and compete. I give even free court time. I think one of the public comments from uh, Ricky Mm -hmm. Brown, who he won junior Wimbledon, he was he was one of the very best players in the world. He signed a million-dollar contract before Andre even thought about signing one. So this is a guy who understands competition very, very well. He's offering – he's giving free court time. He's encouraging them. He's, he's offering to take scores down. He's offering to do everything he can. And yet the children – and you know this is encouraged at home because if it's not if, – if you're not encouraged to compete at home – then you are encouraged not to compete. It's one or the other. It's not a neutral thing. Either you're encouraged to go out and compete and further yourself, or you're not. And, and it doesn't matter socioeconomically where you are on the ladder, because everybody has the will to compete. And there are people out there that will help your son or daughter, no matter where you are socioeconomically, if they know you love to compete. Because they can feel that. So what do you do? I think you put them in competitive situations. You know, there's a lot of our industry, and they wonder why America's had no players, which is going to change. It's going to change over the next 15 or 20 years, because enough of us are angry enough about it and determined enough. We see all this malarkey that's happened. We see all this crap that's been, and they, these people interested in, they're interested in making some money off of it, but they're not interested in, and they get fixated on technique and, 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 and this idea of what they think the perfect player is, and they guess, which is nothing more than a guess. If you don't sit alone with Roger Federer and talk to him about what he thinks about when he's hitting the ball and his personal fundamentals and his personal mental strategies, then you are guessing to show a picture with some little lines on it that shows where he strikes the ball and how his elbows is positioned is such a bunch of crap. Because you think when he's swinging all out like that, that he knows where his elbow is, that's 3% in front of his body? <laughs> all, of this, all of this stuff that's out there is built to try to form a business, but what it loses sight of, in my view, is it takes away – From competition you you give me two choices someone with subpar skills that loves to compete or somebody that's had a ton of lessons that is technically flawless but cannot compete their way out of a paper bag and I'll take the competitor every day of the week because I know I can get that competitor some skills but you can never get somebody some heart so what do you do you put them in the situations you say, hey, you're competing regardless. When you wake up today, you're competing, whether you like it or not. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be the best in the world. That doesn't mean you have to do anything with the sport. But you're going to have an hour or two a day where you're playing some sets, you're playing points, there is a winner, and there is a loser. That doesn't mean you're a loser, but that means you either won the score or you lost the score, and you've got to go deal with that. Now, I love you. I want the best for you. Now get your ass out there and compete because you will be better for that and I will help you be better for that. So whether it's sets, 21 games, any kind of competitive, games to 11, anything where there's a score and there's a winner and there's a loser. And spare me with all this everybody's a winner because everybody's not a winner. There's a ton of losers walking around in this world. And that doesn't mean they're bad people. That means they haven't had the courage to put themselves in enough competitive situations to know themselves well enough to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to keep competing until I do win some.
0: So putting them in competitive situations on a daily basis means that when they go for tennis drills, it's not just about... Hitting cross court forehands and down the line forehands for thirty minutes, and then <laughs> doing the same thing on the backhand side, and you know, I, I mean, it needs to be about keeping score.
1: It ta- yeah, it takes some creativity because if you want to work on the forehand cross court, hey, you know what? Yeah, we can hit forehands cross court, but we're going to play a game to seven. We're gonna we're going to play a game to eleven, and you'd be amazed at how at how. And I don't want to hear any crap about parents saying, well, you shouldn't bet and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. You put children in their natural environment and watch. Watch what happens. Watch if, if by the end of the thing, hey, what about a bag of Doritos? What about a soda? What about an apple? What about whatever? Let's play this game for five push-ups. Let's play this game for 20 sit-ups. Okay, that's a form of bet. Okay, you're wagering, you're putting some incentive on the contest. And it makes it you talk want to talk about fun and enjoyable. Try winning a cross court game and your opponent has to do fifty push ups or do fifty sit ups. Or they have to go out to the store afterwards and get you an apple or whatever the whatever the incentive may be. And so it adds a little extra edge, a little intensity. And yeah, whatever you do, it could be you could be working on your technique and your fundamentals but make a game out of it because all of us love a game. We love stories and we love games because they test us. They, bring, they give us a lab, a laboratory to work out all kinds of things that we're feeling inside and express aggression and express all kinds of stuff. I mean, how many times have you seen a sticker? I see a ton of them around here. I go and work out so I don't kill somebody. Right, that these are actual yeah. stickers in the cars, and so yeah. what are they saying? Well, they're going to they're going to express their aggression. You know, they're they're either not content with something in their life, they're not they're not feeling right about something, so they go work out. They don't go and mistreat somebody. They don't go and inflict harm on somebody. They actually take it in a productive route. And so when you're out on the court and you're working on a backhand volley technique, hey, get creative enough to say, you know what? You gotta make twenty in a row. You gotta stay out here until you make twenty in a row. That's competitive. Or if you're doing it with a person, hey, you know what? First one to miss three times does fifteen push ups. So you're putting you're quantifying at that point. You're quantifying everything. And then once you quantify, you have to be accountable. And that's where dealing with pressure comes in. And that's where saying, Hey, I either got it or I didn't get it. If I succeeded, I, I gotta deal with that. If I failed, I gotta deal with that.
0: But you, so you have just, to you have to admit there are gonna be kids that never win these these games. I mean there there's always that kid out there, right? That that loses every time. The one that's the last one picked for the team. At hey, one I point
1: think, I think I think I was I think from the time I was 8 until I was like 10 I was not only the fattest kid in school I think I was the least athletic talk about getting picked last and 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 losing over and over I think I was so bad at tennis you know how many times I got told that I should do something else I mean it was over a 3 year period multiple times like you know this really isn't your thing you should go do something else it forces the child to dig down and say, okay, well, if I do something else, I'm going to come up against the same stuff at some point, so maybe I do go do something else, but i still got to deal with the fact, look, do I really love this? Do do I really enjoy it? And if I really enjoy it, I'm not going to worry too much about what everybody says. I'm going to go ahead and do it because I enjoy it, and that's real productive thought. That's real productive thought.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's where I was trying to go with all of this is getting back to at what point do you say I enjoy this and I don't care what anybody else says or you know what, I really don't enjoy this and I'm going to move on to something else.
1: And that's very admirable too, you know. What this, this article that you, you brought up, this is encouraging somebody to to this is dissuading someone from an activity because it's too hard or because it might harm them which is going to do nothing of the sort if the parent does their job but what you just speak of hey if you don't enjoy something well you know what move on to something else but guess what you're going to pick something you're going to pick something it might be in an academic endeavor it might be an athletic endeavor it might be a music endeavor I don't know what it would be hell it might be walking around the block as many times as you can every day just to make sure that you're not sitting on the sofa just you know couch potato and out it's going to be something you're going to pick some form of mental and physical activity that you enjoy that you can then work on your process of achievement and excelling it doesn't have to, you don't have to be the best in the world you don't have to be anything other than constantly pursuing in this process because that is virtuous, and that's what helps you develop as a human being. And it's most okay. admirable. If you if you walk away because you don't enjoy it, hey, more power to you. Just find something that you do enjoy, but employ this process.
0: So the idea of competition doesn't necessarily have to be against someone else you can compete eat internally with yourself to get better each day that's that's a, another definition i think that's
1: the best definition i think secondarily if you're in something where there are other people you have to learn about strengths weaknesses you know all kinds of things like that strategies uh, and and the fact is that in most things in life I'm not going to say they're zero-sum games because they're not. But in most things, you have to interact with other people in some capacity, you know. But even with those, at the end of the day, there are an, an enormous number of variables with other people that you have no control of. So it all ultimately comes back to you saying, look, what do I have control of? What can I do today? to do the best job I can and how am I going to be the best I can be, regardless of anything else going on around me. And then secondarily you come up with strategies if there are other people involved uh, to deal with them, either socially, competitively, whatever. But at the end of the day, I think you hit it on the head. You know, it everything always comes back to how am I interacting with myself? How am I dealing internally? And then how am I bringing that to the outside world?
0: Right, right. I want to go back to uh, Paul's article for a minute because one of the things he talks about is he gives an example of two fighters. And um, there was a recent fight, and I'm sorry for my listeners. that He he
1: misrepresented that as well.
0: Okay, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I I didn't really understand what he was saying, other than that he felt like the older fighter was at an advantage because he had managed his career. And I, as I was reading that, I all I kept thinking about was Roger Federer. <laughs> so what he, what he was
1: saying, what he was saying is in effect that Klitschko. Now Anthony Joshua is one of the most prolific now fighters in the world he's a heavyweight champion he's from Great Britain um and which surprised me that this guy would misrepresent this so so badly and then the other guy was a Russian uh Klitschko and Klitschko's been a champion and basically what he was saying is because Klitschko hasn't fought as much as a lot of other people this is what I understood him to be saying is that he's he's actually better towards the latter stages of his career. And he was surprised, the writer of the article, you call him Paul, was surprised that Klitschko could compete. Now, if you know anything about athletics, and you know fighters, fighters don't exist in a vacuum. They compete their asses off as they're growing up. They fight amateur. They fight... You take a look at Floyd Mayweather and the number of fights he had by the time he was 18. It's staggering. Um, take a look at some of the other champions and, and the kind of fight. They all know one another from when they were younger. Now, maybe Joshua started a little later. Um, he's, he's not long into his career right now. Uh, but if you think that he's not going to be tested through significant activity, then one is mistaken. And Klitschko, they don't even know how much this guy fought. They know his pro record. Julio Cesar Chavez fought 100 almost, I think it might have even been over 100 times, certainly close to 100 times as a pro. Do you know how many times he fought before he was a pro? I mean, an exorbitant amount. So to say that Klitschko is where he's at because he hasn't fought very much, which is I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put words in the guy's mouth, but he's saying he's fought less, so he's better when he's older. That is, that is, that's a complete fallacy in my view, because it's not taking into account how much Klitschko fought when he was younger, when he wasn't a pro. It's not taking into account, it's, it's not taking into account the sparring that he's done. It's not taking into account the training that he's done. It's not, it's not taking into account the entire boxing profession where these guys fight round after round after round, not only in practice, but as they're growing up. So, and and Federer, you want to take Federer, isn't it? We'll take any anybody that the guy wants to put on any platform at all. We'll take him and we'll break it down. Do you know how much Federer competed when he was younger? Look at, look at old tape when he was 12, 13, 14, and he's playing in tournaments throughout uh, Switzerland, Germany, France, competing, competing, competing. Well, Even the Williams think, sisters, they, the right. Williams sisters didn't play juniors, but they were competing. They were playing sets every day. They were put put in competitive situations every single
0: day. Sure. Well, and I, I think, you know, he mentions the idea of resilience in the article. And I think you had mentioned in a previous podcast about how Federer now is managing his career. You know, he's choosing which events to play He's um, honoring him. the fact that he's a 35-year-old man who yeah. has competed hard for the majority of his life and, you know, that he has to pick and choose now. Um, and as I was reading again this article, it occurred to me that Klitschko maybe is has done the same thing now that he's 41 years old, you know, that he's picking and choosing the battles, not that he hasn't fought as much and therefore his resilience is high, but rather his resilience is high and now he's got the luxury of being able to pick and choose when he fights.
1: Yes, it's it's well said. And the naivete that goes into a statement like like, what, you're going to start your child out like that after these people have put in this kind of base work and fundamental work in all the competition throughout their lives, is is, is this person or anyone really telling me that, oh, okay, so you're going to start your child out managing their competition like Klitschko or Federer, and then you're going to expect them to have the same velocity exponentially to learn because the whole reason – like you just said, that they can manage their career now is because they laid the base with so much competitive experience in the first place. They didn't start there. Really? Are we like do we really have to like have that conversation about what it took Federer like, did Federer play eighteen grand slams in his entire career and win all eighteen? Should we should we go into how much he's lost? over a career, as a junior, as a pro, the guy's lost an enormous amount. And the percentages that go into what he's doing. So really we're going to start the kids there, and it's a symptom. It's this Band-Aid approach of what we've been talking about the whole time. Oh, let's protect them, and let's just start them at the top level. Instead of immersing them in the competition, which is what everyone who's ever achieved anything has done, I've told you before, I watched Shark Tank with my son, Paul. And yeah. how, many times, how many times does Mark Cuban talk about when he was 9, 10, 11, 12, going door to door and selling uh, uh, trash bags? Just finding something to sell, just to get his reps in and compete every day. So, So these guys, yeah, they might be managing as they get older, but to naively think that they've gotten there by doing the same thing, it's it's like the whole article and the mentality that we're talking about. It's taking this cosmetic result and saying, Oh, let's just start the kids there while there's a whole lifetime of work behind that.
0: For sure. For sure. Well, guess what, John? <laughs> we're at the end of our hour. <laughs> Can you believe it?
1: You know, we do we do an hour like five minutes, don't we? <laughs>
0: We do. I don't know. We're, we're getting really good at this. Um, I hate to stop because I feel like this is such a great conversation, but, I, you know, out of respect for your time and my listeners' time, I think we ought to wrap this thing up. So, um, I, give us, give us in a nutshell in, you know, three sentences what the takeaway needs to be from this whole conversation about building competitive children.
1: I would would humbly suggest being in reality. You know, there's no substitute for talking to our children. There's no substitute for getting to know them a little better each day, even if it's for a few minutes, of being honest with them, of being honest about this competitive process and their development. I mean... If raising a child were rocket science, I I would not have been able to do it. I, m- many times, we don't know what we're doing as parents, but are we willing to spend the time? Are we really willing to spend the time? And are we willing, if we don't have the answer, to admit that and to work through it with the children? And this is their whole lives. I mean, I kind of thought that was the idea behind having a child anyways, that – you wanted to be a part of help them develop and be a part of their lives. So to me it's why not stay in reality? There's competition all over the world very vigorously at this point, especially with technology, communication, etc. Why not embrace that? Why not call it for what it is and be in reality and use it to develop an even deeper bond with your child? and with other people, as opposed to recoiling from it and shrinking from it and trying to divert away from it. Why not stay in reality and get some real productive development?
0: Sounds good to me. I love it. John, thanks so much for being with us again, and uh, I'm looking forward to next month. I, I don't know what we'll discuss, but I'm sure it'll be a good one and so i really appreciate you being with us again and to my listeners thanks so much for tuning in to parenting aces we'll see you next week i hope you've enjoyed this week's episode as promised john was very outspoken and very definite in his opinions. so i hope that you learned something and uh we'll be able to use that as you move forward with your own child's tennis journey I want to just remind you guys that it's not too late to sign up to play in this summer's the Saul Schwartz Safe College Tennis All-In Tournaments. We've got one in Atlanta, July 17 through 19, and our second one in Baltimore, August 12 and 13, and we sure hope to see you there. If you want to sign up, the links for that will be in the show notes. Of course, it's all over our Facebook and Twitter and <laughs> website, too, so please be sure and sign up for that. Also, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to check out the new Match Tennis app that we referenced in last week's podcast, and there's a great discount there for Parenting Aces listeners, so be sure and check that out, and let me know what you think. I, For me, I think it's a lifesaver. I I wish it had been around when my son was still in the juniors, but I'd really love to hear from you guys, too. And the last thing I want to remind you of is the ITA Summer Circuit. So if you have a child in high school who is aspiring to play college tennis, I hope you'll check out those tournaments and be sure and sign up. That's it for us for this week's episode. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at ParentingAces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com.